if anyone out there is listening and trying to figure out how to get to that next step, try to find someone who's about five to seven years ahead of you because the process they've gone through or the steps that they've taken will most likely be repeatable. Whereas if you talk with someone who's further out in their careers, not to say that they don't provide value in terms of advice, but you might not be able to replicate exactly what they did in order to get where they are. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead, a podcast that challenges the notion that the law lags behind. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Each week, I invite a lawyer who's making powerful changes through extraordinary leadership. In each episode, we'll travel through another lawyer's life, identify what they do best, and then devise how to apply these concepts to your own world. So let's get to it. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Our guest today is providing legal and business advice to the top organizations in technology. He just left his role as Dish Network's corporate counsel to embark on a new journey as corporate counsel at Microsoft. He is also currently a board member and treasurer of the Association of Corporate Counsel's Colorado chapter. Please welcome our next lawyer who leads, Victor Morales. Victor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Seagal. I'm really excited to be here. I'm super excited. And I wanted to share with our listeners something that we actually just talked about right before we started recording, which is that Victor and I actually met in a very fun way. Victor, do you want to share how we met? Yeah, of course. You know, very active on LinkedIn. And Seagal, I noticed that you have post, I think it was a position with the law firm and they have a lot of video game clients. And so, of course, my interest was piqued. And I just reached out to you directly. And I was like, hey, do you play video games? Because <laughs> that's pretty rare to find in our profession. And it turned into a whole conversation. And I really enjoyed it. Me too. I loved it so much. And first of all, like, I am always open to people reaching out and being like, do you play video games? Because I can talk about that forever. And we will at one point. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. Yeah. Also, I have a mission where I'm going to collect all the lawyers that like games, and then together we can just start a group and play games all the time. That's excellent. And we could even talk about that some more because there's so many uh, leadership traits that one could pick up from all the collaboration that takes place when you're playing a game with other people. I 100% agree. My husband and I play all the time together. It just got us through the pandemic. So we play Divinity 2 together. It's super collaborative. Sometimes he steals too much loot and I get really upset and then I make him (laughs) share it with me. (laughs) He's very good at picking it up before I do. And I'm like, you have to share. That's not fair. You sound like my wife right now. I do the exact same thing. I feel like the four of us need to find a video game that we can play together online. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, video games aside, I'm very, very excited to hear about your journey. Before we start, I actually ask every single guest to share something they're grateful for. So I want to ask you, what is your favorite moment today so far? My favorite moment today, you know, it was just finding my son this morning. We were still trying to sleep train him. He's almost three. And he's just very precocious and mischievous. So last night, he was turning on the light at three in the morning and declaring that the day has started. So despite being so tired, just walking into the room and seeing him in a different part of his room, because sometimes he's under this giant plush elephant he has. Other times he's at the foot of his bed. So you never quite know where to find him. And so for me, it turns into a little game 
That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> the day has started at 3 a.m. Yeah, and then it's my turn to tell him, hey, the day has started. And then he's like a little teenager and trying to hide under the covers. <laughs> I absolutely love that so much. The wonder and the innocence and being so present in the moment is just something we can all take away from our kids. Mm -hmm. So I want to get into, of course, your role as corporate counsel at Microsoft. But before we do that, I'd love for you to take us a little bit on your journey to the place that you are today. How did that all begin? Yeah. So I'm originally from the Bronx, New York. My family all came from Puerto Rico in the 1950s. I, I grew up around a lot of family. And it was nice because it teaches you early on that it's not so much about self, it's about serving your community and the good of the community. I didn't appreciate that growing up. And I really wanted to just be independent and strike out my own. So eventually I decided to go out to Northeastern in Boston. And that's relevant because if you don't know this, Northeastern has this co-op program where half the year you would have an internship and then the other half you're in uh, classes. So my first internship was with the university council. I did commercial transactions with her. And it was just enlightening for me because I didn't quite know what she was doing. I just knew I wanted to do it. And it was really fun. I got to work with different musicians and different service providers and some famous speakers, bringing them onto campus and just getting all those details aligned contractually. When I graduated, I found the Association of Corporate Counsel, ACC. It was sort of an accident. I actually applied for a job with the DC Bar. And my wife, she applied for a job with ACC. After realizing what it entailed, we decided to like swap interviews, which was kind of... Wait, what? Yeah, we convinced the individuals that were going to be interviewing us that were like, hey, like we actually know someone that would be much better for this role. And we just pointed them at each other. Wow. I have never heard that before in my life. How did both <laughs> of these organizations receive that? They were awesome because... They certainly looked at our resumes and made the decision on their own, but I think maybe they trusted us enough to say that since we're interested in you, if you find someone more interesting for us and you're willing to say that, then that must mean something. So we both ended up getting the jobs that we recommended each other for. I, I spent almost a decade at ACC and about halfway in, I decided to go to the George Mason University School of Law. And because I had already spent four years as a non-attorney in the legal department, I sort of knew that I, I wanted to continue doing commercial transactions and I wanted to do in the tech space. It's one of the most innovative areas. And so I went through law school with uh, particular goals in mind. I wanted to be exposed to certain areas, certain conversations. I should probably back up for a second and say, before I even went to law school, I went to LinkedIn. And I pretended as if I had all the qualifications to get any job I wanted. I ended up picking out this commercial transactions role with Square Enix because I'm a huge fan of Square. And it, it just seemed like my dream job, right? I actually took the time to turn that into a short-term and long-term goal plan before I started law school. And then that was my North Star. That's why I used to guide my decisions when it came to taking electives, to doing internships, and the types of experience I really needed to acquire so that I could go directly in-house. Wow. I'm super impressed right now. So you went on LinkedIn and you looked at the descriptions for the roles that you wanted yeah. and then took all of that and used that as almost like a curriculum for what you needed to take in law school? Exactly. That's brilliant. 
And others will tell you, like, you should research the companies or you should think about what sort of practice areas generally. But I was always just super focused on trying to stay in-house if I could, because I love the community. It's one of the most collaborative communities that you'll find out there. And I didn't want to lose that. I also appreciated that at that point in my life, it's not quite as black and white as they teach you growing up. The world is so much more nuanced. If you like video games, guess what? Video game companies have lawyers. If you like golf, the PGA having house counsel, the examples just go on and on. So yeah, that was sort of the, the inflection point for me there. When I graduated from law school, I had to open up my geographic area because I was just looking for any in-house job that would meet that specific criteria. That's where I found Dish Network out in Colorado. So I moved out here and such an amazing experience because working at Dish, they give you a lot of responsibility very quickly. And they also just expect a lot from you. So from a learning perspective, you have to do it, right? Because you have your supervisor there working with you, but you're in the thick of things. So I started supporting the IT organization around a year, around that time too. That's when they announced that they were going to expand to the 5G telecom space. That was a wild ride, which is, you know, fascinating to me on its own. About two weeks after coming out here, I was prepared to work 100 hours a week and just be the best lawyer that I, I, I would know how. And uh, that's when my wife called to say that she was expecting our first. And so what made that such an like, interesting time in my life is uh, I had to figure out how to be a dad in addition to how to be a lawyer. And it, it was a lot to balance in a good way. It's funny because there's this kind of feeling where only women are asked, like, how do you balance the family life and the mm -hmm. work life, right? Yeah. Um, and it is a very real thing. Work-life balance as a parent is a very real thing and a very real issue. It just shouldn't be asked of just women. It should be asked of all parents. Right. And so I'm going to ask you, how was that experience for you? What were the things that you had to consider and how did you get through that? Yeah, I talk about this a lot right now with others where I say that even if you're starting out, and you don't have any familial obligations. It's important to have boundaries with your employer. So I've never been good at that. And I think with our son arriving, it really forced me to reassess how I go about my work and how I interact with my employer. It forced that conversation a lot sooner than I think I would have been able to have. When it came to the actual balancing, one coworker put it this way, which was brilliant to me, is if, if you're trying to go about your day doing your work as if, you know, nothing is going on at home, there's ethics that you have to consider. You owe it to yourself and your client to be upfront and real, to tell them like, hey, I only got three hours of sleep last night, so I might not be able to give you the best advice right now. Or I know this contract is due tomorrow. I'm going to ask for help from another colleague in the legal department so that I just don't bungle it, right? So just asking for support and being upfront about your situation. It also helped too that a lot of the others in the legal department had young children. And I got lucky in that regard. They're incredibly supportive. Yeah, I think that's super important because I was going to ask you, and, and I'll still ask you, Yeah, how were you able to be so brave to be able to say those things? A lot of times lawyers worry about being vulnerable or being not perfect. Where does that ability to be upfront and be very clear about your boundaries, where does that come from? Uh, failing a lot, <laughs> you know? It's just like, I think that's the best way to put it. I've dealt with a lot of disappointments in my life, a lot of rejection, and I can't just talk about one aspect of my life without acknowledging the others. 
And through those moments, I had to be vulnerable because I had to get through them. So I think that actually works a part of your brain that maybe you don't normally do if you don't acknowledge that and live in it a little bit. Agreed. 100%. So you were at Dish Network for four years, right? Almost four years, right? Yeah. So what was that experience like? And then what prompted you to to leave to Microsoft? It, it was just an awesome experience because, like I mentioned before, a lot of responsibility very quickly, a lot of changes that you have to mitigate. I mean, gosh, there was a pandemic. And so working with the IT organization, we had to quickly pivot to accommodate for a lot of individuals who didn't feel comfortable coming into the office. And there was just like a slew of other infrastructure to implement as well. While we continue to try to figure out how to build out the new technology needed for the network. And so it was just a lot of change, a lot of big questions very quickly, and just trying to figure out like, what do we need to do here to get to that next step in the process? And all the while trying to express or explain like these hours, I am not responding to anything because I'm doing dinner, bedtime, and stories and all that. And then afterwards, you can talk to me all you want. <laughs> What's your favorite story that you read to your kids? Oh, gosh, that's a great one. Right now, he's really into Thomas, Thomas Tank Engine. And he's like weirdly into scary stories. And so there's like Halloween story in this like anthology book that we've gotten him. And it talks about the monster under the shed. Hmm. And there's this line that one of the characters says that st sticks with me, which is, great imaginations can sometimes have bad thoughts. Oh, I love that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I think for me, it just highlights like Thomas was feeling very anxious because he has such a great imagination and he was letting it run off. And he was accounting for all the bad things that could have happened, where in reality, it was just a hedgehog under, under his shed. First of all, I'm going to totally get this book for my kids. You have to send me the information after. I will. Yeah. But I want to ask you a question because it's something that I struggle with a lot. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, especially as you talk about boundaries and really setting the time to do the dinner and do the stories. I find sometimes that it's very difficult for me to kind of block that attention. I allow the work and other stuff to seep in and then it distracts me. Do you have any methods that you put into place that help you with the time blocking or does that just come naturally to you? It's funny. I have a phone that is way too old. And I think I do that intentionally because I'm okay with letting it be in some corner of the living room and forgetting about it or letting it go under a cushion to the couch. And then I just don't look at it again until I'm ready to dive back into work. Does that make sense at all? 100% makes sense. The irony is not lost on me that the corporate counsel of both Network <laughs> and now Microsoft has a very old phone. It's but at least 10 years old. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. But also, it's intentional. Like, you're intentionally doing that because you know that can be a distraction and this is your way of creating that boundary. It's a lot of self-awareness there too. I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. It's a lot about just knowing what triggers maybe some of your bad habits and then trying to remove as much of those as possible. This is like really good advice and it's really helpful because I think it's like these small things that perhaps get in our way or distract us from our larger goals and really being able to pause and take a step and really think about those triggers, think about 
the actions in which we can help us with those things is just valuable, truly. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm going to try to segue it back to video games and games in general. Please do. Um, a game that I used to play a lot with my cousins growing up was Hero Quest. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like D&D or Dungeons and Dragons, for those of you who don't know. And the thing about life is that you don't have a checklist of things that you have to do in order to level up. But the best way to know whether you've truly leveled up or not is to challenge yourself and to try to teach others to see how much you've learned. And so I've always thought about it that way, right? For the things that are intangible in our lives, what sort of concrete steps could we boil it down to try to do on a day-to-day basis in order to get ourselves to where we want to be? Victor, this is fantastic. Talk to me about this idea of teaching others to see how much we've learned. How do you incorporate that into your world now? Yeah. And granted, it's difficult to do when you're just starting out, but especially when you're networking, you can hold yourself out as a resource to others. And whether it's just sharing your experience to help more senior leaders think through the best way to address a particular issue, or it could just be if you're a little bit further along in your career, reaching out to a junior attorney and helping them think through a particular issue or goal that they're trying to achieve. I think those are the opportunities where you could exercise that part of your brain a little bit to say, all right, this is what I've learned through my experience, through the process, through the things I've worked on. And what do you think about that? It gives you an opportunity to, if you're talking with someone more senior, to get some feedback and maybe course correct on some of your understandings. I love how you used the example of starting out, providing perspectives to senior leadership and senior leadership providing perspectives down to like newer leadership. It is a two-way street. There are things that no matter how senior you are, Mm -hmm. you can still use fresh perspectives. And no matter how new you are, it's important to ensure that you're looking to these mentors and people with experience. Right. And I think that's a unique experience that maybe ACC gave me. I was a non-attorney interacting with a lot of volunteer attorneys who maybe were going through a particular substantive issue at their job. And they were just reaching out asking like, hey, do you have any resources or could you connect me with anyone that actually could help me with this? And just trying to do your best to help them in that regard. So that's sort of where I've got, gotten the thought from. So you were at the ACC. You went to law school in the middle of it. You said you always wanted to go into tech. Why tech specifically? Tech is creativity. Being in a space that requires you to use your imagination is just, I'm drawn to it. Maybe it's because I spent way too much time as a kid playing games, but if you think about it, it forces you to get outside of some of the more rigid things that we're accustomed to in our profession, just because the use cases have never been heard of before or seen. And you're trying to fit something that's new into an existing model without trying to break anything too much. How do you go about doing that? I I like project planning. I just try to think about what I can control, what I can't control. And then uh, for the things I can control, just breaking it down to some more tangible steps, things that I could do to help mitigate a particular issue or risk for the client. For the things that you can't control, really just thinking about the opportunities that you have to maybe influence the outcome that would be best for your client. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. Sometimes it's things that you could have done in hindsight. It's just something that you have to think about going forward so that when it does come up again, you'd be able to work through the issue a little bit better. I think it's very wise to be able to take a step back and say, okay, here are the things I can control. Here are the things that I can't control. 
And I think it's important to remind ourselves that there are certain things that are out of our power and to expend any more energy on that is not a good use of time when you can actually be focusing on problem solving the things you can control. I think that's great. So you were taking very specific outcomes from Square and understanding that this is going to be your curriculum. Did you ever consider the law firm route? It's a good question. And as much as I want to pretend that I was super confident of taking the path to go directly in-house, there was a period in time during the interviewing stage where I started getting a little worried. I was scared to see that through because it's not an easy thing to do. I did apply to various clerkships and I interviewed with a couple of law firms. I once sat down with a partner who was at Mitz Levin at the time. And he saw right through me right away. I think like about 10 minutes into the conversation, he was just like, you don't want to do this, do you? And I don't know what it was in that moment. Maybe I was just so tired of interviewing when my heart wasn't in it. And I said, no. And then it turned into this mentorship session where he asked me, well, what do you want to do? Be honest. I said, I want to be a general counsel to a tech company. And I I love video games. He didn't try to convince me that the right way to do it was to go through a law firm. He took his time and explained to me what the path is to becoming a general counsel. And he threw out all these statistics. I don't remember a majority of them, but he was getting into that detail of most general counsel have M&A experience in their background. So if you want to be general counsel, Think about how to get M&A experience eventually in your career. He was engaging in this exercise that I had engaged in prior to law school. And for me, it was a little bit of a wake-up call because he was like, if you want to do something, then why are you going down this path? You don't want to do it, right? So think about it this way. And when you talk to others, try to frame it this way. Having that level of practical advice was just so meaningful to me and it's clearly stuck with me all these years. Are you still in touch with this lawyer? I'm not. And that's why I haven't given his name. I I didn't ask for permission to share. But just talking about him, I I think I should reach out and just tell him what sort of impact he had on me in my career. Because after that conversation, I dropped out of all the other applications to law firms or clerkships. And I just focused on trying to go in-house again. And it took a while, even with the network that I had, all the resources and knowledge as a non-attorney. It was difficult, but then Dish came along and uh, the rest is sort of history. Well, first of all, I don't know who this attorney is, but whoever they are sounded like a very special person to have identified that. Yeah. He really listened. Recently on LinkedIn, I, I saw some advice that someone gave and it was very standard. I could just imagine being the person on the other side where it was clear that they didn't really listen. And then they gave the canned response of you need to stick on the traditional path in order to find the success that you're looking for. And it angers me thinking that people are getting advice like that because you contrast it to this individual who, again, just saw right through me. He took the time to really listen to what I was looking for, and he tried to tailor his advice to meet that need versus imposing the path that he followed or the precedence that's been established by so many lawyers in our field that have been successful. 
I actually remember seeing your reply to that post and being very impressed with the advice that you gave, especially when it comes to people saying this is the way versus this is a way, right? Exactly. And I think that's the danger of giving advice over social media. You're trying to be concise. You're trying to be helpful. But at the same time, you have to realize that you're giving journalized information to a mass audience and you have no idea what sort of circumstances someone is living through when they read through that. I agree. And I think going back to this attorney, his ability to not shame you for being in an interview with him in which he realized you weren't interested in, but rather be like, you know what, I'm going to help this person better understand mm -hmm. the options that they have. And to say, you don't need to get your M&A experience from a law firm work. You just need to get your M&A experience because I think that'll be really exactly. helpful. Yep. I think that's really cool. Also, I would love to introduce you to counsel of another organization. She was a guest on the show. Her name is Davika Tandon. She actually was one of the first few episodes that I did. And she also went straight in-house. And she also has a really interesting story. I think that you guys would get along really well. Yeah. And this is something that I think people need to realize is there are plenty of examples of people who have gone directly in-house. One of my mentors and great friends is uh, Vito Richardson. She's the CEO of the Associational Corporate Council. She went directly in-house in the 80s. She started at Sunoco. And her story is just inspiring. And she talks about it too in um, a book that she recently published. It's called Take Six, Essential Habits, Own Your Destiny, Overcome Challenges, and Unlock Opportunities. She talks about what she did to get there. And again, you know, put that frame of reference in the 80s. It's truly remarkable. And there's so many more examples like that. If you take the time to do the research and see who you should be connecting with in order to motivate you and give you ideas on how to get to where you want to be. Agreed. So I'm going to shift the conversation a little bit because I want to go back to my original question where we were talking about the prompt to go from Dish Network to Microsoft. And I also want to know how it's going at Microsoft so far. So what initially drew me to Microsoft was they posted this position as a product counseling. And for those of you who might be listening and aren't familiar with the term, think of it this way. It's like you're the mini GC to a particular product or service on behalf of your company. So any legal issues that might come about, whether it be transactional, regulatory compliance, you are going to be responsible for that, or at least the point person. This is something that's been in the tech industry for quite a while. And I just coming into it and thinking, well, if I want to continue moving up on the ladder, how would I best diversify my skill sets? But without having to jump around jobs, right? Maybe into a compliance role, regulatory role. Well, how could I do that? And that's where I came across like this whole concept of product counseling. And I love it because you get to focus on one particular thing and then you just like facilitate everything for it. Yeah, it gets you to really go deep into one area and really understand all the facets of it. Exactly. Yep. And at the same time, you're doing compliance, you're doing that regulatory work. If you're coming into it with a commercial transactions background like I am, and then it's a little bit more of a safe space to play in those areas. So how overall is it going at Microsoft so far? I know you just started not even a month ago, right? It's been about a month. And the thing about Microsoft is that they really care about diversity, inclusivity, and giving back to your communities. And coming from the Bronx, like you're always a little skeptical of just altruism in general, but I think they really walk the walk. And 
that to me has been the most exciting and unexpected thing that I've learned about Microsoft since joining. I just feel motivated and excited to do things that I haven't thought about doing in my career. And it's not so much that it's 100% legally substantive. It could be tangential to that and just, again, just trying to improve and contribute to others and building them up. What do you mean by coming from the Bronx? You always have a little bit of skeptical altruism, skeptical uh, yeah. of altruism. Talk to me about that. So I think New Yorkers would relate to this, right? Let's say you're on the street and someone holds open the door for you. You know, you might not say thank you right away or acknowledge that moment as like someone being nice to you and just taking it for what it is. I think you're trained pretty early on if you grew up in New York to always have a little bit of a healthy skepticism or suspicion of others that you don't know as well. And so I think you carry that into your relationships where you work and with your employers as well, because employee-employer relationships have been somewhat transactional in nature. So when you talk about Microsoft really walking the walk, what are some examples that you can give in which you really saw that in action? There's a lot of discussion about using technology to propel inclusivity. And Satya in particular, who's the CEO, it's near and dear to his heart to try to include individuals with physical diversity. And if you take a look at some of the ways that they're looking to use AI, for example, there's technology that they develop that if a person has is a hard of seeing or blind, they could hold the camera up to the menu, for example, and through AI technology, read the menu to that person so that they could go on about their lives like anyone else. That to me is inspirational, inclusive activities that we need to think about as a society. The other interesting thing about that too is, I'm paraphrasing the quote that Satya said, it's the only area where everyone's going to eventually join it because we're all going to get older. And with old age, we're all going to experience some form of disability. So there's no better way to try to facilitate, you know, through technology as much as possible. I have never heard of that in that way before, this idea that we're all going to age. Right. We're all going to get to a point where our faculties are going to eventually fail in one way or another, which will make us disabled. And to be able to ensure that we're building the best future for all of us, it's a brilliant way of thinking about it, but it's also rallying people around this commonality, which I think is really cool. I Yeah, I completely agree. And there's so many other examples just at Microsoft of how they think about these things in different ways to include individuals that aren't typically included in the conversation when you're thinking about DEI. What other examples? Can you share anything else? Yeah. So there's a training and I can't, I should look up the author's name, but it talks about covering. And the author, I think he's a professor at NYU and the director of their diversity center. He talks about this concept of individuals try to de-emphasize something about themselves and try to emphasize others in order to fit the mainstream, whether it's your company culture or just societal expectations. And he uses the scope very broadly to include individuals with neurodiversity. So when you think about diversity in general, your mind might immediately go to racial, sexual orientation, gender, how you would identify yourself, perhaps. But that area is interesting to me because you might 
be a straight white male, but neurodiverse. And so it tries to make everyone feel included in the overall idea that there's not really one standard, right? And we're just all unique individuals that are trying to work our way through various situations. It sounds like you're having a really great experience at Microsoft so far. It really sounds like you're enjoying yourself. I'd love to circle back with you in like a year and see how it's going and compare. I mean, not that we won't talk for a year, but uh, <laughs> for our listeners, circle back in a year, uh, kind of where is Victor now and compare your experience now to later. I think it's really cool to get both of those perspectives. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a, a great time to see what's out there, to be bold with your career and to ask for help, too, if you feel like you need it. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to go through the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What does leadership in the law mean to you? I think it's about having integrity and just doing the right thing, even when you think that someone isn't watching. And I say that because so often now I uh, find myself in situations where I think I'm by myself and then I look over at my three-year-old just looking at me and he's ready to imitate the exact thing that I did. So <laughs> that, that would be my answer. It's so true. I mean, your kids are, are great mirrors to yourself, mm -hmm. right? Because they're so little that you can kind of forget that they're paying attention and then they'll do something and you're like, ooh, no, no, that's <laughs> something I need to change. That's something yes. I need to change. Or the other opposite side where they do something and you're really proud of them and you're like, nice, I, they exactly. got that for me, right? There's some pride there. Yeah. If there was one thing you could improve about the legal industry, what would it be? We really need to think about how we talk about the pipeline, how to get to where you want to be. I think it's outdated. A lot of the advice that's out there and actually harmful to the younger generations in our profession. And so without turning it into a very long answer, we really need to think about how we source younger attorneys and what we're doing to build them up to feel successful and confident in what they're doing. Yeah. And to build upon that, based on our conversation earlier, is providing various ways in which people can achieve their goals, not just the one way, right? Yeah. And I should say, too, on that topic, that if anyone out there is listening and trying to figure out how to get to that next step, try to find someone who's about five to seven years ahead of you, because the process that they've gone through or the steps that they've taken will most likely be repeatable by you. Whereas if you talk with someone who's further out in their careers, not to say that they don't provide value in terms of advice, but you might not be able to re replicate exactly what they did in order to get where they are. That's excellent advice. What is something people seem to misunderstand about the work that you do? I think a lot of people, you know, from various TV shows like Suits, they think it's way more dramatic than what it is. Or they think that I wear a suit and tie every day, which I totally don't. It's most often jeans and a button up, maybe. <laughs> On a fancy day. On a fancy day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is a piece of practical advice to our listeners? These are leaders and future leaders looking to follow your lead. I think that being true to yourself is very important to identify your North Star, trying your best to stay on your path, and trying to find your tribe to help you get there. I, I think those are really important things. And that's exactly why I did to get to where I am today. Let's talk about your tribe for a second. 
Who's your tribe? My tribe? There's all sorts of different types of advice that one could seek out there, right? Advice on how to be a parent, to maintain your finances, your career. I think growing up with a minority background, you have to look a little bit more outside of your family because they might not know having come to the country and trying to figure things out for themselves, what to do. And so for me, it's almost like a chosen family, right? There are definitely certain kinds of advisors that I would seek for specific issues, whereas I would go to others for other types of issues, if that makes sense. It does. How do you identify those people and how are those relationships created? You have to be willing to put yourself in a place of vulnerability, right? When you're creating a relationship with someone, you're trying to form connections. You have to be direct about what you're looking for. And it's okay if you don't have a set agenda. Maybe it could just be like trying to get to know someone. You're also evaluating the sorts of responses that they're giving you and you're feeling out what they feel comfortable talking about, what they don't feel comfortable talking about, what they tend to emphasize their time speaking on. And then that will help you figure out just what sorts of questions that they could help you with. What's something you came close to doing earlier in your life? I really wanted to work at a Chinese food restaurant. And my parents said no. But I really wanted to get in there because I wanted to learn how to cook. So I think that maybe I would, I don't know, maybe like be a chef or something. Yeah. And just like, yeah, I like the idea of making things with your hands for others to enjoy and just creating a community around your table. By the way, it's the first time I've ever asked this question on the show. Oh, really? Yeah. You were my test case because like I really love the question, but I wasn't yeah. sure how it would work. I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love your answer. It's so random, doesn't it? Like I, I want to cook Chinese food. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to start using this question. I think it's really fun. Two more questions. What is something that you do for self-care? I play video games when I can. And sometimes you have to get a little creative. Like I convinced my wife to let me play games while my son was awake because there was like this mini game within the game. And it was like a cooking competition. He just loved it. He got a kick out of it. There wasn't like any blood or guts flying on the screen. It was just like these little pixelated characters. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to squeeze that in when I can. I love playing video games for self-care as well. I'm a big fan. What is the most influential book you've ever read? I would say The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. I, I remember reading it. I was on the flight going to Spain. When I first picked it up, I was like, oh, this will be cool. I'm going to be reading about the areas that I plan on visiting. And ended up being so much more than that because it's essentially about a young boy who goes through this journey that eventually takes him back to where he was and helps him understand that the metaphorical treasure that he was seeking was in himself all along. But I think another way to look at it, too, is it's really about the journey that you take and not so much the end result. That's what really defines a person is what they're doing all along their journey, how they're treating others, how they're treating themselves, that really at the end helps you determine whether you found that treasure or not. That's beautifully put. Really beautiful. We're going to end there because that's just a perfect way to end. Victor, if uh, anyone wanted to reach out to you, chat with you, learn more from you, how can they connect with you best? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. My handle is uh, Victor Morales. So yeah, you can find me pretty easily there. Victor, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. Thank you, Seagal. I really enjoyed this conversation. 
Thank you, leaders and future leaders, for listening today. We have a new guest every week, so don't forget to join us next week. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe or follow us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also follow at Lawyers Who Lead on social. Let's celebrate and continue to build a community of leaders in law together. Lawyers Who Lead is made possible by Lawline, the leading online platform for lawyers who want engaging, relevant CLE and professional growth content. For over 20 years, Lawline has helped hundreds of thousands of attorneys level up by providing award-winning courses in hard-to-find areas and high-demand fields. They have so many courses to choose from that are actually really interesting to listen to and watch. That's why Lawline's rated the highest in the industry with almost five stars and over a thousand verified reviews on Trustpilot. Lawyers Who Lead listeners get $100 off Lawline's unlimited annual subscription, which means you can take as many courses as you want for a really good price. Just visit lawline.com slash podcast to get the special offer. Check out Lawline for the best content for leaders and future leaders in legal.